0: Good morning. Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name is Will Kendus, and I have the pleasure of being one of the pastors here. Um, We're so excited that you all came and chose to worship with us this morning, whether you're here with us in person or you're welcoming or you're joining us online as well. If you've been with us, you know that we are in a sermon series called The Short of It. Uh, We're looking at the entire story of the Bible from creation to new creation, and this is a six-part series and we are in week three right now. Um, the first part of the story starts with creation. And we heard from Pastor Chris, uh, who talked about how we were not created out of conflict or we were not created out of boredom because God was lonely or anything else like that. But we were created out of love, from community and for community, community with God and community with one another. And Within that, we can see a deep vulnerability, Uh, And desire to be in relationship with each other. Then we moved on to our second week, which was the fall, Genesis 3. We looked at that and how Adam and Eve were in the garden and ate from the tree, and that's when things changed. And Chris asked the question of, "Uh uh-oh, what happened? And when he did that, he talked about how this tree was in the middle of the garden, we ate from it, But why didn't God just remove the tree? There's so many, you know, God is powerful and all-powerful and perfect. Why not just remove it so there was not even the option to have that? Well, when that option is removed, that takes away our choice, and God wanted to give us that choice. He wanted us to be able to choose to love him, and within that, that tree represented freedom, and love demands freedom, and so with that that choice was made not only back then, but it is made every single day. And we can see that in the news and with everything that happened, that this freedom is chosen, but because of that, there is brokenness and there is sin that is in the world. And so today we are looking on, as we kind of fast forward a little bit to Genesis 12, Um, God's people, we kind of move further and further away from God. But in Genesis 12, we start to see this new topic or this new nation that is born where God starts this redemption plan, this rescue mission, if you will, in the nation of Israel. So we're going to do just a quick little two-hour recap of Israel in the Old Testament. And I'll have you guys out of here by about 1.30. You might miss some of the first quarter of kickoff. Um, of the one o'clock games, but hopefully we'll we'll make it to halftime. But, so Israel, it's this small little piece, if you will, of the Old Testament, but it's a lot to cover, so I pray that I do it justice this morning. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you love us so, so much. We see that in the story of Israel, and despite everything that happens, you still are committed to us, you still are in covenant with us, and you love us. I pray that today I would be stepping aside and you would speak through me, you would use me, use my words, so that your people will hear what you want them to hear. It's in your holy and precious and powerful name we pray, amen. Well, it's always always good to start out with a question, and I got to ask a question, and when you go to Divinity School, there's a lot of stuff they teach you, but there's some stuff you just don't that you just have to learn on-the-job, OTJ training, right? So you learn on-the-job training, and one of the questions or one of the things they tell you is stay away from this topic, but I'm going to give it a whirl anyway. It's a little bit of a hot-button issue. You know, preachers always kind of pushing the boundaries a little bit. And i got to ask this question. Who is your favorite superhero? Who is it that is like, that is my person, that is my guy, that's my girl, that's the one that like, I just relate to, I can reason with, I can see myself, Doing that. Just give me, you know, the power, the flight, the vision, you know, the unlimited funds of some of the superheroes. And I could do the same thing. Who here is more of a Marvel fan? What about DC? Who has no clue the difference in the two? Yeah, I'm not totally sure. I know I, I don't I don't even know myself. Um, Maybe this is a little bit easier categorizing them. Who's more of like an old school? Like we've got some here. We've got Batman and Wonder Woman and Superman. Okay, more of the old school camp. Who's more of like the new school camp here? We've got Thor. We've got Iron Man. I wish I was a little more Iron Man-esque with the massive muscles and beautiful hair, but uh, that's a story for a different day. But we have these new superheroes who are out, but we all, we love superheroes, and as I mentioned, we kind of relate to them maybe in some way. Stan Lee found that out, that if he kind of built in or made these characters more relatable with some flaws and deficiencies, we can relate to them. And they really kind of gained popularity when that was starting to be implemented with them. But as I talked to my wife, I said, you know, who's my superhero? I mean, this is an important question. When somebody asks me, I need to be able to answer this. She said, well, like, who do you relate to? You know, maybe what superpowers do you have? I said, well, you know, kind of missing the whole Thor look thing. Um, uh, You know, the wit of Iron Man, uh, it's just not there. I said, you know what I can do? I can eat a lot, you know? And I like sugar, and cookies are really good. So she said, so, Cookie Monster, um, that's that's your superhero, huh? I said, sure, let's go with it. So... Now, whenever anybody asks me, I know that Cookie Monster is now my official superhero. But whoever your favorite superhero is, whether you like them or not, I think it goes without saying that superheroes are just generally popular. Um, Alone, the Avengers franchise pulled in just shy of $23 billion of revenue since they were created. That's a good bit of money. But we like superheroes, we like to see that there is good in humanity, there are those that despite everything that is going on, they still choose to do good. There's a study in Japan that liked, or study in Japan that showed cartoons to little kids as young as 10 months old, and they started to kind of get that recognition that justice was being served out. So we like that idea that superheroes kind of dish out this justice to those who need it. And we also like to see that a small group of people or a single person has the power to make a positive change in the world. And we're going to talk about a small group of people, if you will, not-so-powerful group of people in Israel that God uses to change the world. And God uses these superheroes so that we are part of that redemption story. So as Israel comes about, you know, this is, like I said, a small little group of people, and they are the ones who are chosen, chosen by God, and God makes a covenant with them. And this starts, as I mentioned, in Genesis 12 with Abraham, and he makes this covenant with them. Now, before we go any further, you may be wondering, why Israel? Like, you know, is this, are they kind of exclusive in the sense? Like, do they get all the good stuff at this point? And we are looking at this book, the short of it, Joshua McNall, and he uses this quote that I think helps to kind of wrap wrap our heads around this idea of divine election. Divine election is not primarily about God choosing one person instead of others, but rather it is about God choosing one for the sake of others. And it is so God choosing Israel for the sake of the rest of humanity. It is through Israel but it is for everybody else. And we'll see that wording in Genesis 12, 3. So we're going to look at a couple different characters in the Old Testament. Like I said, there's so much to cover. We're not going to get through all of it today. But we're going to look at a couple key figures who I think can help us to see how God uses Israel and how God can use us through the same ways. So, first scripture for this morning we're looking at is Abraham. And this is starting in Genesis 12. Genesis 12:1 says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, this is Ur of the Chaldees, or Chaldeans, and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, Canaan. So Abraham doesn't even know what this is. At this time he's named Abram, then soon to be named Abraham. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, this is that language right there of that divine election, and in you all the families, not some, not just Israel, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here we have Abram, older in age, they say around 75 years old, when he gets this this covenant with God. You know, and what is he thinking at this time? He's like, I'm nearing the end of things. I'm, I'm not getting ready to start something new here. I'm nearing the end of things, and yet God is going to use me for this. And I think that's important for us to know. So we're going to fast forward a little bit. We know that Abraham has Isaac with Sarah. They have Isaac, who then has two sons of Jacob and Esau. And we usually say Jacob and Esau, but I think it's important for us to maybe say Esau and Jacob, because Esau is the one who is born first. And those who are born first, the first male, is the one who gets the birthright. They're the ones who everything kind of from the family is given over to. They're the ones with the power, with the control, with the inheritance. And Esau comes out first, and his name means Harry, and then Jacob comes second, and his name means heel or supplanter, and he's grasping at the heel of Esau when he is born And that's, yes, his name, but that's part of his identity, too. And he lives into that. He's the one who kind of grasps or seizes, he takes things. And what he ends up doing is he finds Esau in a little moment of weakness. Anybody been hungry and made a really bad decision? You know, we don't get that phrasing hangry for no reason. You know, we're hungry, you know, we're probably irritable, we make bad decisions. Well, Jacob... He capitalizes on that with his brother Esau. Esau had been working all day and he comes in and Jacob goes, hey, I know you're hungry. Let's make a deal. I got this stew, it is good. Now, I don't know what was in this stew, but I imagine it's probably not gonna be what Esau ends up trading. But he goes, I got this stew, how about this? You trade me your birthright and I will give you this stew. Like I said, I've made some bad decisions before And this is a whole other sermon here. But Esau takes it and he goes, Okay, here you go. Here's my birthright. Kind of sign it over to you. Just give me that stew. I'm hungry. And so Jacob gets the birthright and he kind of works his way in. He kind of connives his way into this situation. But he has to live with that for the rest of his life until he has a moment where he meets with God and God uses him. So we find Jacob who's going to meet with his brother, and he's going to have this meeting, he's kind of going to have this coming-to-truth moment, but before this happens, he has this moment with God. So a little bit later in Genesis, we read this. Jacob was left alone, his family had left, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him in the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So here, this is a big moment. Unless you bless me, you know, this is God that Jacob is wrestling wrestling with here. And Jacob's saying, give me a blessing. He's demanding it. So he said to him, what is your name? And we heard this in the story last week when Chris told us, you know, God knows where Adam and Eve were in the garden, there was more to that question. There's the same thing going for this here. What is your name? God knows who he's wrestling with, doesn't he? He knows what Jacob's all about. He knows his name. He knows his identity. But he's really asking him, who are you? Who are you really? What's your true identity? What's going on here? In this moment, I can only imagine Jacob, through tears, comes to terms with who he is, and he said, I'm Jacob, and it was through these tears that he finally admits of who he is, and then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, or wrestler, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed, and I think that phrasing of wrestler is important. Because Israel is this nation that continually wrestles with God. There's good wrestling and there's bad wrestling. There's times when things are good with Israel and there's times where God uses other nations, other powerful people, to bring judgment upon Israel. We hear this language through the prophets and we see this happen throughout the Old Testament. But wrestling happens with people who are close by. You cannot wrestle with someone or something that is far away. So Israel has this close connection. They are right there next to God because of this covenant. We're going to move on to another set of characters. Maybe you know them, maybe you don't, but these are two Hebrew midwives named Shifra and Puah. This is at the beginning of Exodus At this point, the Israelites are being oppressed by the Egyptians. The Egyptians are trying to keep the Israelites down. They're trying to beat them down, beat them into submission. They're working them. They're trying to break them mentally. And then the king of Egypt eventually goes and he says, you know what, I'm going to make sure that these people don't prosper. I'm going to take out all of their male children. It says this, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives or midwives of the Hebrews, one of them was named Shifra, and the other Pua, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. Horrific, horrible stuff. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the Egyptian or as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. Now, we don't know exactly how this happened. Maybe they took a little bit longer to show up when the boys were born. Maybe they just overlooked it, maybe turned a blind eye. But they knew what they were doing. They weren't missing out on any details. They knew what was going on because, as the scripture says, they feared God. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? And I imagine this is one of those moments like when your brother or your sister like stands up to mom and dad when they've done something like really wrong. You're like, oh man, they're going to get it. Oh, they're so going to get it. And whether you're sitting there eating the popcorn thing and oh, this is going to be so good or you're scared for your life and you go hide in your room. But they stand up to the most powerful person in their world knowing that with a snap of the finger this king of Egypt could erase them and erase their family. But the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous, and they give birth before the midwives come to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. The midwives here acted on behalf of God, and they let these people live, and let them have families, and let them grow I think it's neat to see this little connection, how God then blesses them with the same thing, giving them families, allowing them to grow as well. And as I said, there are so many other stories we could look at, so many different ways in which God is interacting with the Israelite people, ways in which God uses them and uses them as part of the redemption story and part of the rescue plan. These superheroes... But rather, not so superhero at all, are they? No special powers, no unlimited bank account, no through-the-roof IQ, no x-ray vision, no laser beams from the eyes, but rather these are ordinary people like you and like me who show up and put themselves out there and use their positions to be used by God. And I think there's a couple things to highlight in these stories that we can see in our own lives, how we can be honest with God. And I think the first thing is honesty in identity. These are people who are honest with themselves. They don't try to make up these situations. They don't try to better themselves to work their way into these situations. You know, like making themselves better than so that God can use them, but they're honest with where they are. Jacob, coming to terms with who he is. This is who I am, God. Through tears, he says it. Use me, and God does. Abram, at the time, very old, nearing the end of his life, he thinks, but God, still, I'm going to use you. You know, we see later in the story when he is told that they're going to have a child that Sarah laughs, thinking, There's no way that I'm going to have a child. But God uses them. They are able to be used wherever they are because they show up. And I think too often we focus on how God can't use us instead of focusing on how God can use us. We put too much weight in our power instead of putting the focus on God's power. And I think another thing that we see in the story is the faithful obedience. They show up. They're there. They're present. They're part of the team, day in, day out. They help out where they can. They may not be the biggest, the baddest, the best, the most powerful, or whatnot, but they're there. They're present, and they trust in God in these situations. Abraham, trusted in God. The Hebrew midwives of Shifra and Puah, trusted in God. Jacob, trusted in God. Whoever I am, you know who I am, God, but I trust in you that you will be able to use me." We may not be the most powerful person that we know, or the strongest, or the best communicator, or the richest, or whoever that is, but as we see in the story of Israel, we see in this redemption plan, we see in these people that we can change the world. History has been continually changed for the better over and over by ordinary people like you and me. We see this in the scriptures. We see this day in and day out. And by being honest with who we are and who God is and through our faithful obedience and showing up, we can change the world too. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you use us. You wrestle with us. Lord, as sometimes it is easy to focus on the ways in which we cannot be used by you. We focus on what we lack rather than what you provide. We take ourselves out of the running. Give us the courage to step up, to trust in you and your power in your understanding, God. Instead of our own. Amen.